mic is hot and the game is on. You're listening to News for the Nation podcast by Aces Nation, where we talk about nutrition, sports performance, the journey of a student athlete, and more. I'm Claire. I'm Zach. Time Time to to level level up. Welcome back, sports fans. Today, we're talking about starting in a new place, right? Uh, Sometimes over the summer, people get new jobs and they move to different locations, you know, and what is that like as a a coach or a a sports dietitian to be in a new place, right? Like we're going to talk about our experiences starting in new positions um, because I started a new position. (laughs) And sometimes you have to do your podcast over Zoom. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And sometimes you have to do them over Zoom. So uh, yeah, let's just kind of jump right into it, right? Obviously, there's a lot of excitement happening, right, around that because you invested your time to uh, apply for something and you got it right. And now it's like, all right, got to get my feet on the ground on campus, you know, or, or in that role and start, um, I don't know, for lack of better terms, getting your hands dirty and, and just getting in and learning the system. Right. I know right now for me, it's a lot of meetings with coaches. I'm, you know, trying to learn what, what your program is all about, what the coaching philosophy is. Um, if, if, people are able to answer that question because sometimes that's so vague. People are just like, I don't, I don't know how to answer that, you know? And then you find yourself trying to set up the schedule for your weight room. Like how many people or athletes does your weight room accommodate at one time? You know, um, what is your working day going to be like? How much time for each session? How many days per week? You know, all of that stuff comes out in those coaching meetings. And then really it's on your expertise of how to you know guide that train. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I know obviously what it's like to be a new strength coach in, um, a new place because I've, I've done it four or five times now. Right. But, um, what's it like to be a sports dietitian in a new, in a new role? Um, I would say it's pretty similar. Um, it's funny you say a new role because from a collegiate perspective, obviously I was a dietitian where I was also an athlete. So that was kind of an interesting transition because some of the teams I worked with, I was a part of at some point. So it was a weird transition of becoming a dietitian for some of my old teammates or becoming a dietitian and having to deal with my previous coaches. Uh, so that was, that was an interesting transition. It, it was great. I, it, I probably couldn't have asked it to go better, um, but it's very mm. similar. But I want to ask about that because sometimes, you know, when, when people see you as like a peer, right? Like, let's say from the athlete perspective, when they see you as a peer, it's, um, you know, they see what you do and they, they, they keep a record of that at some point, right? And people keep mental records of things. And then you become, um, not necessarily a, an authority figure, but you become in an elevated position above student athlete, right? And now you're giving them information. Did you ever have any like, um, times where you felt like people were, I don't know, judging you because they saw what you did as a student athlete. Now you're telling them to do something uh, differently. I don't think so. I, I personally think that it helped me be more relatable, uh, and I agree. be a little bit less intimidating to approach because mm-hmm. I had been in their situation before, or they just previously knew me. So it wasn't like, walking into the office of some random lady they've never met before 
that mm-hmm. they now have to talk to about about some potentially pretty personal things. There there wasn't anybody I, I would say that I had either um been teammates with or or was friends with or whatever that I was counseling maybe on like a one-on-one basis. So I think that helped as well too. Um and a lot of them had kind of phased out also as well. So it was it was a very small number. Um but I think it helped because I I think they saw me as somebody that was very close in terms of time and understanding where they were and what they were doing. And so it just made it more relatable versus some, you know, 50 year old dietitian that's been out of athletics for a really long time and maybe was an athlete at one time, but it looks a lot different than it did probably at that time. So I think it served me well. Um, but in terms of what that transition looked like, it's very similar. There's a lot of meetings with coaches, with admin, with other support staff and trying to figure out what does that timeline look like? What do assessments look like? When are we going to do those? How often are we going to do those? Does that look like questionnaire on a paper? Does that look like we're giving it to sports medicine and they're administering it with the like preseason uh compliance stuff or the preseason, um, physicals, um, Mm -hmm. kind of figuring out what, from a schedule perspective, what am I doing in terms of going to practices, assisting at games, how much can I take on from like a pregame meal and, uh, kind of like catering perspective. So it's a lot of behind the scenes work of figuring out how all of that's going to work together. And then once, you get comfortable with that. It's a lot easier to then kind of just fall into step in a routine of doing all those things and then having the time to meet one-on-one with athletes. Um, but, but those upfront meetings, I think with the, with coaches, team support staff, all of that is super important because that's how you build those relationships with the athletes. Because from my perspective, I was, at least when I started, it was just me with those teams or with the majority of Mm -hmm. those teams. So I couldn't be everywhere at once. I couldn't be at every practice. I couldn't be at every game if there were multiple games happening at one time, or I had two preseason camps happening at one time that I was essentially running from a nutrition perspective. So I couldn't be at every meal at once. So um, having those meetings and, and being on the same page, especially with athletic trainers and strength and conditioning coaches was essential for me because they were my eyes and ears every single day. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. Okay. So I asked that question uh, at the beginning of that, um, to just be like, you know, if they were like, ah, I saw what you did on Thursday nights. I'm not listening to you lady. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know if you had dealt with that, but I agreed. Like it probably really helped with buy-in the same way that when athletes know, like, a strength coach has played, uh, you know, something at a certain level and mm-hmm. gone through a, a similar experience that they have, you know, the, the buy-in is, is there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I talked with a strength coach yesterday who works at a, another core cadet school and he is also a, a veteran. And so them knowing that he's been a veteran in active service and him having photos like up in his office and they're able to see those things, you know, and have that information about him, like the buy-in is, you know, there even more, right? So they already buy in because, you know, they've got a lot of discipline, um, you know, preached in their life. And that's kind of ingrained if you're at a core cadet school, you know, so that's kind of the the expectation for their uh, behavior already. But it was just like on top of that, right? Like relatable, 
like you said, like being relatable, being, it makes you that much more approachable because um, you share that common ground at some point. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I wonder what it would have been like if, if I had at the same time or point in my life would have started somewhere else, if it would have been as easy or, or maybe mm-hmm. easier just because again, I'm like coming from a similar position, but nobody knows who I am. <laughs> right. Um, right. But you never know. But I, I do think it definitely makes that buy-in easier if if there's either um, that connection where they know you or they see that you are like them or, you know, you can make that connection and say, I'm just like you are. I've been in your shoes before. I was just like you. So I understand everything you're going through. And I think that just helps so much more. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, what were you like some of your, you know, how the president has, um, first hundred days in office, they've got these goals or whatever that they're, they're trying to accomplish. Uh, what were your, what are, what are some goals? I think that, um, a sports dietitian would have in a new role. Um, you could go at the university setting first, then maybe move into a different setting because you've worked in, in the, the clinical side of things as well. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I think it would probably be similar. I I think the only thing that might change it would be maybe what position you're going into. So like, are you going into more of a director role or are you going into more of like a assistant or just, you know, just dietitian role? Um, It's going to look different because obviously if you're a director or if you're, you know, in in charge of a staff, it's going to, your goals are going to be a lot different than if you're not. Um, And so Honestly, I think when I started, I didn't necessarily think in like a hundred day goals. I think it was just, what are my goals for like the first 30 days? Because I was such a new dietitian. I, I literally, I, I had been working in the athletic department since I was like a freshman, just as a volunteer. And then I interned with them. And, um, so I had, I had been with the sports nutrition department for a long time, Um, and when I finished my internship and then was kind of, again, volunteering with the football team, I was looking for a job before I took my exam. And I, I honestly, I literally took my RD exam on the same day that I started my first day at Florida state. So I was a very new dietitian. Um, yeah, which I think is, is common in the sports space too. Like you'll see people apply for um like fellow jobs or just more again more entry-level jobs um or like assistant jobs where on their resume they're not rds yet it's just rd eligible which Mm. is fine for depending on the position um but i think i was so new to it from being a dietitian in that space that i didn't have like a vision for for 100 days so i think in the first 30 days though it was um forge those relationships with my teams, get to know them, understand what their goals are, what they need from me um, and and what my top priorities are for each one of them to help them. So yep. the, the first, I think I started at the end of July. So the first thing was volleyball and soccer camp. So it was getting that whole thing situated. Um, I also wanted or or I met with my director and we kind of hashed out like what are the responsibilities going to be because again at that point it was the two of us um and so we were kind of divvying up 
certain things where it would be just one person, but either of us could, could kind of oversee them, um, outside of our sport. So I took on being the nutrition liaison to the eating disorder coalition or committee or whatever it was called. Um, and then some other things like training table responsibilities and, and things like that. Um, so I think that was important again, to make sure everybody knew who was doing what I think I took on overseeing the student volunteers as well. Um, so getting in contact with them, um, getting in contact with the student dietetic association and, and searching for volunteers, getting the word out. Um, so those were my main things. I, I think looking back, if I were to do it over, um, I probably would have put maybe some more, um, like structure in place in terms of like assessments, um, I'm, I did meet with the support staff that I would be working with, but again, I think, um, maybe having more of a system in place in terms of screenings, um, <clears throat> more of a system in place in terms of, um, them referring athletes to me and meeting with athletes. So looking at trying to at least have some touch point with every single athlete that I was assigned to, um, at some point during the season, whereas that wasn't necessarily established. It was kind of like, if you need to see her, she's there. But um, I think it would have been better to have have been able to meet with at least everybody once. Um, so yeah, that, that was what I did. But I think looking back, there are definitely some things that I would have done differently. Yeah, I, I think you touched on a couple of key points there for anyone going into a new position is to, uh, meet with the people you're going to work with and like, get to know them, understand like their uh, characters, their qualities, you know, like things that they're looking for as well. And then how, how can you facilitate I me mean, from, I'm speaking, I guess, from a coaching perspective, but how can I facilitate the needs of that team and their athletes like um, through what I'm going to choose? Right. So any, any different type of modality that I might select for, a session, but like, how can I facilitate like their, their, um, characteristic, uh, needs from a physical perspective, I would say. Um, and then the other thing you mentioned was, um, you would probably do more assessments. Uh, I mean, that's something that I'm doing right now is, yeah, I know what assessments I want to do because I've had experience in the role before, not at this place, but you know, in several other places, but Right now, I've got to figure out what equipment do we have? What can we get? And that's going to determine how or what um, assessments that we do. But I know that that's important as well. Um, and I think I learned that from a really young age as an intern, um, having a really good program that I came through is, is that assessments are, are great. And they're great if you use them really well. And they're even better if they actually tell you what you think they're telling you. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, there's, there's, there's some layers to that, but it, it's good to get information on people and assess them in a way that you can use to help them throughout their career. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think those are definitely uh, like first two right off the bat, I would say, go meet people and then figure out, you know, how you're going to assess. And then after that, once you have assessments and you have goals, you know how to facilitate that for all your sessions, right? If you're a strength conditioning coach. Right. Yeah. And, and, and a dietitian too, it gives you a little bit more of a direction to, mm -hmm. 
you know, structure your, your sessions or even more of like your team talk. So like if you have these assessments and you're noticing trends, um, but maybe athletes aren't super willing or able to meet with you, but you have the ability to do team talks. I did do that a lot of structure. Some of those team talks, um, with subjects that I think would be most beneficial to the majority of those athletes based off of some of the assessment answers that I got like later on, um, um, in my time there. So I think that helps too, obviously you have their goals, but sometimes there's like a discrepancy between maybe what they're telling you, or maybe they just aren't aware and you're noticing things. So I think obviously the assessment is helpful, but, um, I think that's why having a good relationship is important too. Um, because it is sometimes hard to disclose some of that information to, to somebody that you don't really know. So I think that's why it's important to do the assessment, but also be, um, available to see these people. Because again, like when you see them in the weight room, you get them for an hour, maybe a couple times a week, at least once probably. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean for, for assessments. Yeah. Maybe once, twice, mm -hmm. I don't know, depending on your testing battery, but other than that, you at least, you at least see people twice a week for training mm -hmm. yeah. regardless of the year. Yeah. So, and, and hopefully as a dietitian you are too, but depending on how many, you know, sports you have, you might not be seeing people that often, um, especially yeah. not, or at least not the same days. people. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Or, or not on a, a basis where you can like have a conversation with them. It's just watching them in training. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, I have a question uh, that I, I just thought about. Okay, so strength coaches, right? So talking about new person coming in and taking over after someone else has, you mm -hmm. know, been doing the position for years, strength coaches can be completely different, right? So when you come in, they could have a whole new philosophy, a, um, a ton of new like, or different exercise selections or, or variations that they think are staples. Does that, does that happen uh, for dietitians? Oh, yeah, yeah. I very, at least I experienced that when I went, when I came to, into my position, um, I, I have heard yeah. from some other friend dietitian friends, the same thing where it's, you know, somebody leaves, they go into the position and it's, it might not necessarily be that the philosophy is super different, but a lot of times it's like what these people are being provided with in terms of like either the catering or just like the food service stuff. Um, so for example, the the world of sports nutrition is very high in turnover, I would say, at least right now. And so like there's people leaving and coming and going. And um, when I came into the position in collegiate athletics, um, there had previously been like four plus dietitians, depending on some were part-time, some were full-time, whatever. And then when I started, it was two. So obviously there, the sport distribution is going to be different. So when, when it became different, obviously the time available to dedicate to each sport was different. Um, and so there were particular sports that, you know, were used to having somebody there like a lot all the time. And I was like, I can't, I live, I can't, I don't have enough time in the day to also feed myself and go to sleep. So right. I literally cannot. Um, so there were things like that, or I had some friends where, um, 
there was somebody, you know, delivering meals to athletes at classes or, you know, had freshly squeezed juices every morning. And she was like, I don't have time for this. Um, just drink the juice that's in the bottle. Like it doesn't, it's not, <laughs> a big, it's not a huge difference or like just eat the orange instead of yeah. juicing it. Um, so there, there is definitely some differences in, maybe time management and priorities, but I don't know that there's always a difference there. There are maybe some differences in philosophy, um, but I would say it's maybe not as prevalent as it would be in the world of strength and conditioning. Yeah. Yeah. So I was curious about that because I already know I'm going to, I'm going to face that issue. Um, yeah. Not with a lot of things, but with like maybe a, a couple of different things uh, from a lifting perspective and then maybe from a couple of conditioning perspectives, cause I've had a chance to look over some stuff, good stuff, right. Mm -hmm. Just not, not my style Probably and mm -hmm. right. It, it's not. And, uh, you never want to be in a position to prescribe something that you don't know how to coach, uh, at all, or you don't even agree with coaching. So, I mean, yeah. definitely go with, go with whatever you believe in and you're capable of doing. But yeah, so I, I was just curious about that because I know I'm going to, I'm going to run into those things pretty early and it's going to be, man, it's going to be awesome, right? There's going to be yeah. some, uh, there's going to be some friction somewhere and it's, it's going to be a, a great situation to, uh, to face. Yeah. I think the friction is interesting though, from my experience and, and from some of the other experiences of dietitians that I've talked to is a lot of the friction isn't coming from the athletes. It's coming from coaches mm -hmm. or other staff members. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like usually the athletes don't care. <laughs> like, yeah. or, or if it's something again, like the juice and they're like, why don't we have this? And you explain it to them. They're like, Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. I'll just drink that then. As long as it's free, I, most of the time they don't care <laughs> unless if like the quality is so drastically different um, and I think I was able to, in some senses, like definitely increase quality of things in certain areas. Um, but I, I did notice that from either, depending on the sport, there were some where there was no friction at all and they were great to work with. And there were some where it was just a little harder. It was like pulling teeth to even get mm -hmm. them to be open-minded about making changes um, right. but there were some sports I can remember where the coaches, they were like, mm, Nope, absolutely not. Um, we've been doing this for X amount of years. We will not be changing that. We are eating this for pregame meal, even though the athletes hated it, um, from some strength and conditioning coaches, same thing. This is how we've always done it. This is what I always recommend to them. This is how we did it. So we're not going to change it. Okay, great. Right. Um, or like directors of ops, same thing. So those were the main no people if there was friction that's where i typically would would run into it gotcha wow yeah I, i'm the same thing for me most athletes they, they're like you explain it they're on board you know or or, or they're just like all right cool let's do it you know something <laughs> <Okay>. something <laughs> something new sometimes it's like oh okay something new right uh -huh. yeah it's 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 mostly you're dealing with uh sport coaches and then my experience with that is like you deal with sport coaches directly or you deal with admin because of sport coaches indirectly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like why is um, this happening? Like, I don't yeah, know. So it's I like, didn't know there was a problem. Yeah. Never. First time I'm hearing about this, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So that's, that's always an exciting thing as well. Um, 
on the budgetary side of things, um, it's always nice. Let me just point this out. It's always nice if you know what your budget is, like dollar amount. It's always nice. Um, it's never preferred, I would say, to not know what the number is and just ask and hope that you get it approved because yeah. today, you know, these days things cost a lot of money and trying to figure out like, you know, some things are necessary that need to be replaced or some things are necessary for like uh, implementation of your vision and your philosophy, you know? And then there's some things that are like, man, we could, if we had this, we would really utilize it, right? Like not a staple of your program, but maybe like a great piece to have for some versatility. Um, sometimes it's with specific teams, you know, and, and then you find ways to integrate other teams into that piece. But um when you were when you were at Florida State, did you guys have a set number or yeah, yeah, so so perfect, yeah. right? You knew exactly how to fit everything into that number. Uh, yeah, um, the fitting <laughs> the things in was hard. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely. I think, yeah, I mean it was it was difficult because again we're we had to figure out. You know, in in years past, sometimes the budget there they went over budget or like it wasn't, you know, great. I think we had a new direct uh, we had a new athletic director at that time, and he like slashed a ton of budgets, and so we were working mm. with a lot less. Um, oh. And then there were certain things that some teams wanted, and they were saying, "Well, it should come out of your budget," and we were like, "We literally can't pay for that, and we're not going to pay for it if it's just for your team. That should probably come out of your budget." Um, and then there were obviously, again, there were, there were some things that I wanted to change from just like a food quality perspective from some of like the snacks we were offering, um, just from specific requests we had gotten from certain teams. So trying to add in more variety for, for the things that we were offering in our, um, like snack bar. Um, and so that was kind of hard to, fit in. And then we also had kind of like satellite fueling stations at most of the athletic, like either the locker room or like different practice facilities. Cause we were in the stadium football had easy access to us at the stadium because they were always there. That's where their practices were. That's where their locker room was, but everybody else had like satellite places. They weren't very far, um, yeah. but they weren't always in the stadium. So we would either put like a cart or some of them had fridges or shells. Basketball was pretty isolated. So they kind of needed their own thing, their own. Mm-hmm. Room. Um, but it was hard to fit into the budget then too of, okay, X times a week, once a week we restock those. So we need to figure out how much of that, how much muscle milk, how much all these things. Um, but then we also need to take into account, well, this team has a lot more players than this team. So it's not really fair that the team that has a lot more is getting the same amount of the team that has a lot less. Um, so we had to figure all that out. And then there was backlash because it was like, we're only getting it once a week versus when it's dwindling and, you know, we were getting way less than we used to. And so there was a lot with that and it was very, very hard. Wow. Yeah. To explain and manage. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, And then we also had the thing of, you know, you have to be considerate of your teammates and not take 17 muscle milks on one day because this is all you get for the week. And we're, we're, we can't come back until Friday. Um, So that was hard. The the budget was hard um, just because it got cut. And then there were a lot of things that we were being asked to do. And not that it was 
bad or, or anything, but I think that's where a lot of the, I think, um, roles that people associate with sports dietitians are is the food service. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, you know, we're, we're kind of like glorified vending machines, right? Like we're snacking stocks, we're providing snacks. Um, we're stocking the snacks, we're doing all these things. And then nobody comes to talk to us about their diet. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, So I think that would be a good transition. And honestly, if I like thinking about even like maybe starting a program or going to a new place, I think the emphasis really needs to be on that, those face-to-face like consultations and conversations, maybe the training table or the, the dining hall before any of that, like extra stuff is even kind of put on the table because I mean, I would rather have a conversation with you and, and learn about what you're doing all day, every day and how you're feeling for competitions versus what your favorite snack is. Yeah. Yeah. Versus yeah, me just handing stuff to you yeah. as you're coming post-workout or something, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. And there's pros to that too, because, you know, again, it can kind of open the door to, if they come get a snack mm-hmm. and their, their office is there, they can come talk to you. Um, but I just think they're, because that was prioritized for so long, um, and it's, you know, something we're providing. I think that there was just too much emphasis put on that and not enough on like our actual, like clinical professional skills as dietitians. Right. Right. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, kind of the same, not necessarily the same thing, but like, uh, you know, from a training perspective, we're not just, uh, like, I hate being called like the weights coach, yeah. you know, like, man, uh, are we, are we just limited to this room and you like, you know, putting a bar on your back or dumbbells in your hands, you know? So. Yeah. It, it's not a fun feeling. Um, but no, I think, no. I think some people don't obviously mean it that way. And it's just kind of like a short yeah. way to refer to you. Um, right. but you can kind of tell, you know, who, who means it in what way, but, um, right. So in, in recap of everything we just talked about from my side, like any coach, I think this is, I think this could go universal for anybody really, but like, getting in and and like building relationships um, and understanding the environment that you're in, I think is number one for me, my opinion. And then number two would be to um, establish your, your vision, right? Whether, even if that includes doing assessments as we talked about that we think would be appropriate, you know, and then letting that vision guide your first steps, whether it be like actual training sessions or actual like first involvements and, you know, everyone, every involvement after that. And um, like we just talked about with budget, like things that you're, you feel like you're going to buy, you're going to need, right. Uh, having that vision and having those assessments, you know what you want to buy. And then it's about prioritizing what can fit and what you, you can make work. Right. There's going to be a year to year thing. If you're first in establishing something, prioritize things that you absolutely need in there. Mm-hmm. And then try to be a part of those budget conversations, you know, as you're building the next year's budget and you're just adding a more on piece by piece. Uh, that would be my, my advice and like summary of like the entire uh, onboarding process, if you will. Yeah, I would a hundred percent agree. I think that's going to look a little bit different. The second piece is going to look a little bit different for dietitians, but the same yeah. concept. Um both the same concept of you have to get your foot in the door first and you have to build those relationships Mm -hmm. in order to gain their trust and gain everybody's trust. Um, you know, you got hired for a reason, but it doesn't necessarily mean that 
everybody was on the hiring committee, right? They weren't involved in that process. So they don't know who you are and what you're capable of doing. And then secondly, having that vision and then piece by piece, putting it together and executing it and figuring out what can work, what can't, and then, you know, figuring out a, a different way to do the thing that you need to do. Right. Thanks everybody for listening. We hope you enjoyed it and found it um, informational, you know, for whatever experience you might be going through in life. Maybe you're still in the same place and you're just kind of revamping what your experience is going to be there for this upcoming year. But definitely if you're going into a new role, got to have those relationships, got to have a vision. So that's all for today. We will catch you on the next one. See ya.